What happens when an elderly dog finds itself all alone in the world with no one willing to take on the senior pet? Well, with any luck, that dog finds itself at Whispering Willow's Senior Dog Sanctuary. Hello, I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash. Today on the show, a retirement home for elderly dogs. Valerie Reed started the nonprofit Whispering Willows Senior Dog Sanctuary to provide the extra love and care that is required for senior dogs who have nowhere else to go. Elderly dogs find their way to Valerie for many different reasons. An owner may have passed away and their family has surrendered the senior pup because they just can't provide the proper care that the dog needs. Some dogs come from court-ordered surrenders, while others are rescued from horrible conditions at drug houses, just like the one-eyed peanut who is sitting on Valerie's lap throughout our conversation. No matter how these elderly pups come there, when they arrive, they find themselves in a senior dog's paradise. Whispering Willows has five acres of fenced property in Missouri, where the dogs have free range to go wherever they want to go, whenever they want for the rest of their days. The dogs receive 24-hour care, and they are never left alone or caged. They live as a family, and their caregivers are with them until the very end. Since starting the sanctuary, Whispering Willows has been able to offer full-time care for over 600 senior dogs. 550 of those dogs have passed over the Rainbow Bridge, with love being whispered until their very last breath. Valerie Reed, it is such a delight to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm really excited to be on with you today. And for those who are watching the video version of this podcast, you are holding the most adorable dog in your arms. Who is this? This is Little Peanut. And if you can see, he has one little eyeball. He's one of our old little fellas. So let's use Peanut as a benchmark to, to talk about how dogs come into your sanctuary. And how did Peanut find his way there? Well, Peanut was actually a little bit more local. Oftentimes we take from all over the United States, but he was about 10 minutes from us at another small town. Mm -hmm. And we got called by just an everyday person that saw this house that had dogs chained up outside. And they were, it was like 90 degrees in August mm. and they had dogs and cats in the same um, little kennels and they were asking for help. And so Peanut was the only old one. The rest were puppies and kittens. And the person came and brought him to us and we looked him over. It ended up being a drug house that the people had moved out of about three or four days before. Mm -hmm. And they had put the dogs he was in a kennel with three cats. He was in a kennel with three cats. Yep. And he had urine scald because they had been sitting in the hot sun and the cats were peeing on him. And uh, so his hair was burnt off and he was full of blisters. And he hadn't eaten or had anything to drink. So really, if he had gone another 24 hours, he probably would have passed away because they were out in the hot summer sun. But they had another kennel that had a pit bull and a German shepherd. And they had had a, a dog food bag or supposed dog food bag, and it was actually full of drugs. And they had the bigger dogs protecting the drugs in the other kennel. 
Of course, nobody would come up to a big German shepherd in a pity, but except for rescuers who care a lot. And uh, so this lady, who's a friend of mine, found homes for the others. And then Peanut came to us because he was so much older. Um, He was really sick. We actually didn't think he was going to make it super dehydrated and just very, very unhealthy. So how long ago was that? Peanut has now actually been with us for two years, which is unbelievable. And we had to have him in kind of a witness protection program for a while because the people were charged and they couldn't know that he was at the sanctuary for his safety because they were threatening to come and hurt us and hurt him and trying to get back what was theirs, even though they didn't want him. It was just people who have dependencies or illnesses. It's not a matter that they wanted him. It just, it was theirs and they wanted control over it. So they actually lost all of their rights to him and their animals and they were charged with animal cruelty. And what happened to those folks now? I don't know a whole lot. They were charged. I I do know that. And I know they had to pay fines. Hmm. But the way our animal rights system works is they they paid a very minimal fine. I'm talking maybe $20. Wow. It was nothing. How many dogs were rescued from this drug <laughs> drug lab, I guess? It was, it was a mess house. And mess there, house. all the windows were busted out. And it, it was awful. And they were living in it. I think there were four dogs and four or five cats. I mean, to be in kennels altogether, that was quite a few, but all of them were pretty sick. So you said this was about 10 minutes from you and you and your sanctuary are in pretty rural Ozarks, Missouri. Yes. In the Ozark Mountains. Is peanut typical or kind of an exception to the rule of how dogs come to you, Valerie? It's a really wide spectrum. You have dogs that come to us who they're Parents have passed on elderly owners and they don't have anybody to take care of them or they've moved to nursing homes. Mm -hmm. That is the main thing that we help with that, you know, end of life. And these poor babies have been their their parents' best friends and helped them through their aging process. Mm -hmm. And then there's nobody for them. Usually the family or the adult children don't want them or they don't have anybody to help. And so a lot of those kiddos come to us. We also help with court-ordered surrenders. We've helped with suicide issues where the pets have been left and they don't have anybody. We've helped in murder cases, (laughs) which you wouldn't think of all these things that happen. But in our society, when our everyday issues are going on, there's children and there's animals left behind and somebody has to help them. And it's, it's our job to do that. Well, it's your job to do that because you made it your job. How many dogs are there now? And then let's kind of get into the genesis of how this all started. We have 72 right now. This past week, we had about four pass, I think four or five. And that's pretty typical. A lot of times we'll lose quite a few together. Mm-hmm. It's like they just say, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're not going to go alone. We're going with a friend. So it seems to happen in pairs or a few more. And the genesis of this, how did you end up starting the sanctuary? About 13 years ago, my dad was dying from lung cancer <laughs> and we were helping him do home hospice, my daughter and myself. My daughter was 10. And at the time I could homeschool her. And so I brought her home and I took care of him because we were really close and that's what you do. <laughs> and he wanted to be at home. So, you know, 
he had a Doberman that was his best friend <laughs> and uh, her name was Staley and she had been a rescue and they had had her just for a couple of years. And after he passed, my mom couldn't take care of her because she was, my mom was physically ill and she was so big. And so there was just no way. And it was something that we hadn't even thought about. Like, I think it was just an afterthought. Like, of course, Staley will be here, you know? But then when you get to the actual everyday caring or what's going to happen, it's all of a sudden life gets real. And then you have all the, oh, what do I do now? Or, you know, who's going to help? And we lived in a, we lived in Kansas City. We were over our pet limit, my husband and I. Um, and so, of course, I couldn't add another. When you say over your pet limit, what was, <laughs> what was the pet limit in Kansas City? The pet limit was three and I already had four. So okay, um, okay. we couldn't have another one legally because I was already over. Right. And uh, she was so big. it There was just, you know, it just wouldn't work. And so. We started looking around at different shelters, you know, can anybody help? What about the Doberman rescues, the breed specific? Mm -hmm. And even they, you know, had said, if you bring her here, we will take her, but we will end up euthanizing her because nobody will adopt her and we can't just have her sitting here. Mm. And I thought, there's no way, there's no way that my dad's best friend is going to be euthanized just because she's old. Mm -hmm. She was still worthy. She was still viable. She still played. And so for a couple of months, we had kept looking around and calling. And one of the fosters for the Doberman Rescue got a hold of us and said, you know, I heard, I got your number and I heard your story. And I love the old babies. I love the seniors. And she's like, I don't have a rescue, but I have a farm and she could just come live with my family and I'll take care of her. She's like, I don't want anything. She's like, I'll just take care of her. And so that was like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, you don't know, right. you don't know us. Right. And she just had a love for the breed and just dogs in general. And so Staley went to her farm and lived another one and a half years. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had two other senior Dobermen and some other farm animals. And Staley loved it. And she sent us pictures and you could just see the pure joy on her face. Like she had healed from my dad. <laughs> And, yeah. and she had a wonderful life and my dad would have been just ecstatic to know that she was still loved and she was still cared for and she was safe. And that was the main thing. So, you know, somebody did this for us, like, I want to do this. I want to have a lot of dogs. Oh, on. so you want to pass it on. Right. So it was just a pet to take it forward. Yeah. And I didn't really have a plan. I just was kind of like, well, I'm going to have a lot of dogs. And I told my husband, I said, we're going to move somewhere. I can have a lot of dogs. <laughs> and I think he thought, well, okay, we moved. I found a place and we moved two hours out from Kansas City. And, you know, we got like at six dogs and then 12 dogs. And I said something one day and he's like, oh, there's another, you're getting more? And I'm like, I just looked at him, I was like, what do you mean I'm getting more? I'm like, of course I'm getting more. And uh, so it just evolved from there. I got my 501c3 as a nonprofit, federal nonprofit. What year was that? It's 2017. Okay. And then I also got licensed as a Missouri Department of Agriculture shelter. So it's just, it's just evolved. I had no idea how all these steps happened. Google was my best friend. <laughs> and I was just like, I want to do this. And I don't think I ever thought how I do it, how I pay for it. I just said, I'm doing it. And out of that love, and I think because we're real and we share their heartache and 
you know, we share in the sadness and we share in the sickness and we share in the happiness and just how much we love them and how they bond with us. Even though we are a shelter, the seniors don't know they live in a shelter. They just think it's home. So they protect it and they love us and they run crazy and and they have a good time and they nap everywhere. I want to talk about what life is like for the dogs. But before we do that, I want to go back to that conversation when you and your husband were in Kansas City and you'd reach your limit on three dogs. Yeah. And you say, honey, I think we should move. (laughs) Was he just like, okay, Val, whatever? Well, I moved a lot as a kid. So for me, moving is really exciting. So for me, it was like, yes, let's do this. And him, he had been in Kansas City for like 20 years. And he was like, what? Wait, move? (laughs) And I was like, yes, of course. And so he's like, if you can make it happen, he's like, we'll do it. And so I did. I just said. Okay, so he's a good husband. He's like, whatever, you you do it. (laughs) And how did you find the property? I started just looking on realtor.com and then. I was like, he told me, let's go like no more than two hours out so I can still commute for a little bit of time mm-hmm. and, and not be too far. So the house I found was two hours and like three minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I saw it and I was like, oh, this is it. And it had already been on the market for like two years and the beautiful home, beautiful land. And I thought, this is it. Like if my dad was here, he would go into all the trees and the woods and the flowers and just be like this beautiful, like I could feel him there when we went to see it. And the, all the lights were on one evening. We went to look through it and to walk through it. And I was just like, I know it. And so my husband, Josh, was just like, okay. So he's like, well, we'll, we'll try. But we couldn't move for like another year because my daughter was a senior in high school. So we wanted to wait till she was done. Mm-hmm. and. Then the house got like a couple offers and for whatever reason, they never took them and didn't go through. And so like the week before she graduated, our house went on the market and we sold it the first day it was on the market. And then we had to put our offer in and we had to, you know, we're like, oh my goodness, it sold so fast. (laughs) But they accepted our offer for the house and it was just like absolutely amazing timing. And it, it just was meant to be. It was where we were supposed to be. It's the perfect location for the seniors and the property is very quiet. There's nobody around us. There's lots of barking. <laughs> I bet there is. But nobody hears, so. Well, let's talk about Whispering Willows. Did the property have that name before or did you come up with that? No, the willow tree has always been my favorite tree. Um, we've had a lot of death growing up in my family and I always found the tree really peaceful and sad at the same time. and. To me, when my dad died, it was heartbreaking, but it was a process that we helped him through. And I got to be with him when he took his last breath. Mm. And I just felt like the willow tree was supposed to represent us. So I came up with Whispering Willows, Senior Dog Sanctuary, and it just had a really personal meaning to me. We do have willow trees out around in our city, but there's actually none on the property for whatever reason. No, you get a little seedling. (laughs) Right, right. So how many acres is it? Uh, It's five. So it's not a ton of land, but it's absolutely perfect for what we need for the seniors. And the five acres is all fenced in, um, six foot fencing, and they have free range. They go where they want to go. So we have two different main living buildings and they go on between the two homes and they go outside or the main house, we have a wraparound deck. So they lay outside in the sun and 
They're the same as you would think of your dogs at home. So um, tell me about these two buildings. One is obviously where you and your husband live. One is our house. It's 3,000 square feet. And then the additional building, we had a building donated to us. It used to be a like an extension building for the high school out there. Mm-hmm. And somebody had bought it a couple of years ago and they were older and her husband was going to pass. He was very sick. And uh, she just was trying to clean up their property and kind of downsize so that she can manage it. And she offered me the building. She was like, you just have to get it moved. And <laughs> um, it was quite the feat to do that. Um, I was going to say, that, that, that's Kansas. I mean, this, this isn't a mobile home. This is a building. Yes. And so um, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But she donated the building, and we wouldn't have ever been able to afford it. Mm-hmm. We gutted the inside and renovated it. And uh, it's been absolutely perfect. It's about 1,700 square feet. Wow. So, okay, the dogs have free reign over this five acres. Uh-huh. They can go between the buildings. Yes. Are the doors like just open or are there doggy doors or how does that work? Well, we don't do doggy doors because we have some really huge dogs. We have Great Danes and Mastiffs <laughs> and then we have teeny tiny ones like Peanut. Yeah. We have uh, sliding glass doors, mm-hmm. and so we keep them open all day. But you know, like when you go to the grocery store and like in the dairy section, they might have those plastic strips, mm-hmm. kind of the curtains. We have those hanging up on the outside of our glass doors <laughs> because they can come and go as they want, but it kind of protects us from the heat or the cold or a little bit. So the doors are open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every night. And so all day long, they can go in and out. They can they can sleep all day. They can do whatever they want to do. And where do they sleep? A lot of them that are very ill and that are currently in the active stage of dying, they need hands-on care through the night. They live in the house with me, and I'm their caretaker overnight. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them that are seniors and they are ill or they do have issues, but they are stable, they stay in the building overnight, the additional building. And they have bedrooms, I guess, if you want to call suites. They're really cute. <laughs> it's uh, well, Yeah, how does it, how is the suite furnished? <laughs> they have beds in there. Sometimes they have roommates, depending if they like, you know, if they have a bonded mate or a good friend. And we try to put them together with the ones that they that they like, or some of them just like being alone, so they have their own. It kind of has a farmhouse look to it, and it's it's just their building. They have noise machines at night, and they have music that plays during the day so that they're comfortable. What do the dogs listen to? Uh, we use a lot of just like relaxing instrumental music, mm-hmm. and then I also have a special little thing. I can't remember the name of it, but it has special little tones that plays and it's for dogs to help them relax. They use them a lot at vet clinics, but they're just really peaceful. They, we have couches in the building and then throughout our house and all our beds and they get up on the beds, they get on the couches. We have a couple who think they own certain spots and (laughs) we have one named Brownie that he's, he stays on one of the couches and he won't get up to bark at you. You'll hear him barking from inside, but he'll bark from his couch. So, <laughs> Okay, so there's some property rights. Yes, He's, he's absolutely. asserted his space. Yes. And what does mealtime look like? Mealtime's kind of crazy. Um, it's organized chaos is the best way to, to think about it. The ones who are in the house, they'll eat in the house and they sleep in the house. The ones who live in the building will eat in the building in their suite. Um, some of them in the house eat openly together because they do really well and they're not food aggressive. 
we do have some that would like overpower the little tiny ones for food. And so mm -hmm. we separate them into rooms so that nobody steals food or, or does anything naughty. And does everyone eat the same food? No, they don't. A lot of them have um, health issues, obviously, and mm -hmm. organ ailments or cancer, different things, diabetes, weight management food. There's all sorts of prescription food. And then some don't have teeth, so some have canned food. Some have very sensitive stomachs, and so they eat chicken and rice. Like we have all sorts of meals that get prepared. So it's a it takes a lot of organization and planning to to keep it all together. Well, let's talk about the people who make this work because mm -hmm. obviously there's you, there's your husband, but it sounds like there are a few more uh, souls, a few more two legged <laughs> people to to make this thing come together. There are. Right now, we have all ladies that work for me. and How many? Right now, I think we have about a 10, and we truly need like 17 to 20, but mm -hmm. sorry, I have to get off my knees here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just right where we're at. We're so rural, so it's very difficult to buy people to work and just to get them to, to come in. So we're looking for more employees. But right now we have about 10 and we normally have about 17 to 20. So wow. we're a little shorthanded, but we make it work. I would imagine that you are actually probably a pretty big employer in your area. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, we are. And our area is a higher percentage of elderly. So the work that we do is very physical. Mm. Um, you have to carry the dogs. There's emergencies. There can be fights. I mean, there's just... You have to be able to be physical enough to do the job. And so since we're in a very rural area, there's not that many people. So that is why for the shortage, definitely. How do you train them? How do you train your staff? Well, when I hire, I hire on their personality and their compassion because you can train somebody to do a job. You can train them to clean, to, to feed, to do those things. You can always train somebody, but if they don't, have the what they need in their spirit, then they can't do the job. And compassion is something that I don't believe you can truly teach. Hmm. I mean, I think you can to some degree, but to have the discernment and to know when they need you and to keep your eyes on them and to keep focused on what you're doing, it's really a very high multitasking job. And so when we do hire somebody, I really get the feel for them and, and they're really hired on their personality in their heart. So when they do come in, they will follow my trainer. I have another gal named Valerie. So I have two Valerie's and she is my daytime trainer and she's absolutely wonderful. And so the new person will go around with her and she shows them what she's doing. They get to spend time with the dogs, learning about the dogs, learning their stories, learning what they need. You know, cleaning is very important. And everything they need is very important, right. but you have to build a relationship in order to work with them. And so really, they stay with Valerie and uh, learn what she's doing and how she interacts with them. And they just kind of pick up on it. So they train for a week fully with Valerie. And then after that, they're kind of shadowing still with her, but... It really is important to me that the dogs feel safe hmm. and the dogs feel like this is a person that 
I know is supposed to be here and I know that cares for me. Do you find that the the people who come are these mainly older people, basically? Who, who come to work. Come to work for you are, are senior citizens? Right now, the average age, I want to say, is like 27 to 30 that work for me. Oh, They're younger. Okay. And we do have some senior citizens that come and volunteer to sit with the dogs yeah. and to love on them or they come help do laundry, things like that. But you have to be physically able to at least pick up 50 pounds because a lot of our dogs are bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> and the food bags are like 50 pounds and the waters are about 40 pounds. And so you have to be able to physically do it. And so for the older generation, it's a little bit harder physically. And then it makes me worry about their safety. So if a dog were to jump on them, I wouldn't want them to fall and get hurt. And so we most definitely would hire older. We just haven't really had any older generation or any person feel like they could physically do the job. So a little bit younger generation who maybe has like kids and they're in school, it works out really well for them. Let's talk about veterinary care at the sanctuary. You said most of, almost all of these dogs have something going on with them. Absolutely. How many vet staff are involved? We have one main doctor who's Dr. Joanne Coons, and she owns Lake Kills Veterinary Clinic in Osage, which is just about an hour away from us. She and her staff come to the sanctuary, and then we go to her for surgeries or x-rays, things that we can't do at the sanctuary. How frequently does she come? It depends. <laughs> sometimes it's a lot sooner. Sometimes it's about six weeks. <laughs> it depends on really what's, what's going on in her schedule. We also go, if it's overnight, hit an emergency in the middle of the night, like we need to put one of our kiddos to sleep, mm -hmm. then we have to go to Springfield, which is about an hour from us as well. We're kind of right in the middle of like everything from an hour. And um, we go to an emergency hospital clinic there for animals, for emergencies. We are going to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, we will discuss the inevitable crossing over the rainbow bridge for these elderly dogs. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. So now let's talk a little bit about the inevitable. Obviously, this is a hospice. And so, you know, this is one of those things where dogs will spend the rest of their lives there, whether it's years or weeks when it comes. Well, the process is, is that none of them will ever, ever be alone. And that's kind of like when we die, we hope that you know, I hope for me that somebody's with me and the people that love me mm-hmm. and that they're not scared of it, but they're there loving me through it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about the dogs. So if it happens, then they're going to be put to sleep at the sanctuary. Um, if we have it planned out because we know it's coming and a lot of times we do know it's coming. And so we will plan it out to where we know that they're really sick and it's time. And if we push it any further, then it's going to become an emergency. And that's our goal to never have it as emergencies. Sometimes you can't help it, but most of the time we like to plan it and we like our vet to come out and we put them to sleep with everybody. So all of our dogs are a pack and they live as a pack. And so there's always kind of a pecking order and They all live as a family. Nobody's ever kept separate. And so when we do have animals that we put to sleep, we like to have all the dogs in there with us and with the workers who are able to come because the workers are their family. The caretakers are their family and they love them. And we cry with them. Some of us, you know, they become our best friends. And, you know, when the girls, the women work and, you know, they'll be walking in the fence, then their special little babies come running up to them. They're like, yay. <laughs> so they're so excited for they're like, my mom's back. <laughs> and so we have we have many moms at the sanctuary. I'm a mom to a lot of them, but we have many that really bond to the different girls. And right. so within the main pack, we have kind of um smaller packs to each worker. Each worker kind of forks their own pack. And it's really interesting to see 
the different dogs that bond to each worker. And it's usually that dog is really needing something and that person is providing them with the love or something that they're missing that they've always needed. And it's really special. Can you paint the picture of a recent or, or a memorable experience where you did, you know, you put a dog down and you had all the other dogs and the rest of your community together? A lot of times, like I said before, they will pass a couple who are ready to go at the same time. So sometimes there's three or four that are ready to go. And so we will put all of them to sleep together, one right after another, and they go together. And we will sit down with them. All the pack, we used to do it in the main house in the big living room, Mm -hmm. and the workers will be in there, and most of the dogs come in. And I'll have to say that the dogs have so much respect for life, which I don't think that us humans have. They know when each of them is sick or when something's happening Mm. and the dogs will be really quiet. They'll all sit down when the dog, the seniors who are going to pass when they're, when they're, uh, have the anesthetic, when they're put to sleep before the final drug, Mm -hmm. the dogs know what's happening, the others, and they will come up and they will smell the seniors who are going to pass. And it's kind of like they're saying goodbye. Mm. They'll all kind of come up to them and smell them. And once they've passed, they kind of just go on. And they're so good at being respectful and being in there. And then they also know that this has happened and it's okay to move on. Like they're very accepting. And I think even, even a few years ago, I wouldn't have realized that myself, how much intuition they have and how they really feed off of each other. And they're so smart. So I don't think we give them enough credit. That kind of gives me what we in Hawaii call chicken skin, just describing <laughs> that. What is that like when someone is new, either one of the a new vet tech or one of the new members of your community and they experience that? It's really surprising because to me, we've, we've helped over 800 seniors pass. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, it's become a process and I say goodbye to them before they're passing because I can see the points when they start to decline. And so I start allowing myself to say goodbye. And that's one way I deal with the grief before they're gone. Mm-hmm. When we have new people come in and they maybe they've only lost their dog or maybe they've never lost a dog and or you know haven't been with one that's passed. And oh, it's overwhelming. And you can see the love on their face, but just the the pain, but then after they experience it and they see the purpose of what we're doing, it's amazing because it's like, oh my goodness, you know, you just, you don't expect that. And it's such a deep love that you have for them. Some of them we have for one night, some of them will get there from another shelter and they should have been put to sleep already and they're suffering horribly. And so sometimes we have to say goodbye right away. Sometimes they're there for months or now we have a couple who've been there for a couple of years just because we've been able to help heal them a bit. But it really is a process and I think it helps people accept death and not only just the death of a pet or the death of a pet they're working with, but death in general, that death isn't scary, that we may not have the answers but I believe it's the next journey. And so instead of being like, oh no, I don't want you to die. I, you know, I was so scared when my dad died because 
I didn't want to lose him. He was my dad. Mm -hmm. But then when he was gone, it was such a gift to be able to release him and show him I loved him by helping him through that time. And so so many people are scared of it. And I was too, but I've been able to accept it's a process. Like we we can't stop it. So why not why not share that love and let that animal or let that person know how much you love them and how much they mean to you? And then, you know, you're still gonna grieve and it still can hurt, definitely, but it's so much more rewarding and just you receive a full experience of love that when you're when you're trying to shy from it or hide away from it and not experience it, you're still experiencing it. You're just experiencing it in fear. So to experience it in love and to be open and to be accepting of it and hold them as they take their last breath, um, knowing that they could have died alone. They could have you know, died out in the hot sun and had a horrendous death. And death is inevitable so we can hold them as they pass and they can be safe. And the last thing that they will take with them to whatever their next journey is, the last thing they will take is the love of us holding them and crying with them. So what better gift can you give than to die in peace and love? There's nothing better. You said earlier that growing up, you had a lot of death in your family. Yes, we had quite a lot. My sister was killed in a car accident. I was 14 and she was 19. And I think it, her whole family stopped absolutely just stopped. It's just something, you know, losing a child, I can't imagine. I have one daughter, so I can't imagine losing her. So I can't, you know, I don't even know how my mom made it through it. But death at that time was so scary. And so just, just don't talk about it. Just don't talk about any of it. Just, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And our family just stopped existing. And so I think that with the dogs, I can share all the things they've been through and I can share all the horrible, horrendous things that have happened or they've, they've either had, you know, maybe they've had a wonderful life and they've had a wonderful owner, but their owner's passed. So they're grieving too. Mm-hmm. So to be able to love them through their grief and to show them that somebody's still there to care about them and love them is just as rewarding. So I think it's, it's been a healing, absolutely a healing journey for me personally. And it's been a way of remembering my father and he would just be so proud of all of it. And he, he's the reason why I love dogs because we always had dogs growing up because of him. And it's just taught me to be real. You can't deal with death and not be real. And you can't go through 800 deaths already and, and not just be an open book. I have nothing to hide in anything that anybody wants to know or anybody you know, wants to ask about death or ask how the seniors do or how the families do. We're really open to to just sharing because even in your own family, it can help people so very much. And all of us feel something in life. All of us have been touched by cancer or tragedy or or something. You know, we've, we've lost somebody or something happens or you lose your job, you go into bankruptcy, people lose their homes, they can't have their pets. There's just all sorts of things that happen in life that maybe you can't necessarily plan for or you don't expect to happen to you, but it does. And so when it does happen, that's what we're there for. We take in the seniors who are ages 12 and older, and so they're already the old babies. Mm -hmm. All the ones that come to us, 
All of them are hospice. They all have cancer or organ failure or heart failure, you know, troubles breathing, their lungs not working. There's all sorts of issues that they have, just like people have. So just as our elderly generation gets older and humans and they need to be in nursing homes or hospice care or be on life-saving medicines, the seniors do too. And, you know, people are like, oh, dogs, you know, dogs feel pain. Absolutely. We have so many people be like, well, you know, they don't realize that their owners died. Are you kidding me? They're grieving before we grieve. Like they absolutely know. They're so intelligent and they're so in tune with their emotions that it has taught me a lot. It's taught me just to be accepting and to be open to it because you can't, you can't control life. You can try to plan as much as you can and to be smart, but you just, you can't stop it and you can't control it. So to accept it is the best thing to do and to work through it. And that's really our goal. Our goal is just to love them through the end. People are like, how do you go through so many deaths or how do you deal with death almost on a daily basis? And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just because I love them. So they're not mine to keep. They're, I'm not getting them as puppies and I'm not, they're not coming to me for me to keep. They're coming to me for me to help them, to love them through the process so that if, you know, they had loving owners and their person has died or moved into hospice or something of that sort, then their owner knows that they're safe. Their owner knows that they're going to be taken care of. And sometimes those people pass easier and pass in a kinder way because they're at peace with what's going on. And so if they can be at peace then the dogs can be at peace and we can help them. So it goes hand in hand. It's not like a, we're not a regular shelter. We don't even fit into the Department of Agriculture textbook because there's nothing like us. And so they're like, I don't know what category to put you in. And when our inspector came the first time, she was like, so they come here to die. And uh, I was like, well, it's kind of a way to put it. I mean, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's a hospice house just for like people, but for dogs or a retirement community, absolutely the same. Mm -hmm. When people can no longer care for themselves and they need help, where do they go if they don't have family? They go to a retirement home or into a hospice. And so that's, that's what we are. I'm sure that people who are listening to this are thinking, this is extraordinary. Why are there not more facilities like Whispering Willows around the country and around the world? Right. And that's something that as we've gotten into this and more dogs and more dogs come and we're constantly bombarded with requests, it's just opened my eyes to you know, I thought maybe it was just my family. We have a very small family and we don't have anybody. And so, you know, I thought well, everybody else has family and they take care of, you know, they'll take their pets. No, they don't. There's so many that need help and there's so many situations that are sad or just they've passed on. They don't have anybody. Their adult kids aren't local, whatever it may be. We're there for when the family can't be. What is next for you? Are you, do you see this? expanding? Do you want to open up other facilities or are you content? I mean, you have 80 dogs at a time right now. You have that capacity. Is that where you're saying? Is that your focus? We can have more dogs at the sanctuary. Depends on the size of dogs that we have currently. Right. So the number kind of changes if we have more bigger, if we have more small, it just depends. Mm -hmm. For me, mentally, mentally 80 is enough <laughs> at, at one location. <laughs> 80, is, 80 enough. is enough. I, yeah. You know, there's been a few times we've been a little bit over here and there and you can feel it, yeah. which is weird because like 
you know, between five and 20 didn't really matter. But once I get over 80, I'm like, that's enough. So, Mm -hmm. but yes, I would love to open more facilities. I have a gal that I'm working with possibly opening another sanctuary. And it's such a needed segment of the rescue world that's not there. There are rescues that take in seniors and there are rescues that adopt them out, but there are truly no other rescues that are full-time sanctuaries that help them pass that are just hospice care facilities. And it's been amazing to me because I think, why not? We have so many retired homes on every corner and we have so many hospice homes now. But that's such a thing in our society that's wonderful and palliative care. Why don't we have this for animals? There's no reason we shouldn't. What is your annual budget? Um, <laughs> it's about, I don't even know what to tell you right now for the annual because it just keeps going crazy. Every week, we spend about $10,000 on the dogs. Yeah. And that's a, about 8,000 of that is medical. So that's medicines. That's just to keep them alive, to keep them out of pain. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include everything. So we work really hard to get so many things donated. We work with our veterinarian that's absolutely amazing. And she has such a heart for seniors. And she is wonderful to us and helps us so much with costs, but there's still costs. She still has to pay somebody. Mm -hmm. We have to pay her. And that's just the way the world works. Mm -hmm. But it's really expensive to take one dog to get them fully vetted, to get them their senior health check, to have them started on everything that they need um, for hospice care is about $1,000 per dog upon entry. And so like this next week, we'll have about 14 dogs that come in. Well, that's roughly about $14,000 right there. So we're 100% donation-based. Um, we are not a city or a state shelter, a municipal shelter. So we're a private rescue. And we try to get grants. A lot of them we don't qualify for because we don't adopt the dogs out, but mm. we're hospice. So we really don't fit into kind of any category because we're different. We're so different. And there's, as of right now, there's not categories truly for us. We don't fit in any of the ones. So we'll put a link in the show notes from today's show so that if someone wants to support what you are, are doing, I'm sure you would be more than willing to to take that support as a nonprofit. We Absolutely would. And it's it's a difference between life and death sometimes for the seniors. And whether they have, you know, a month to live or a year, they get absolutely same treatment that the dog with a year would get because they deserve it. They deserve to be loved and cared for. So if we can bring them peace and comfort, then that's that's everything that we try to do. So Valerie, last question. When you look back on this since your dad's death and that conversation with your husband to let's get out of Kansas city and let's move a little bit further out two hours and three minutes away. Yeah. Right. What would you tell your former self about the odyssey that you've found yourself on? I had no idea that this would be what it is. It's evolved into such a dream that just through hard work and plugging away and basing our mission in love, has truly made it possible. Because I think that if we weren't real, if we weren't real about the pain and we didn't share the deaths, we didn't share what was happening with all these animals and what they feel, I don't think it would touch as many people. I think so many people are looking for something real and a place to belong and a place to help and just just to feel like, oh my goodness, I just went through this last year. I totally understand this feeling. 
And I think it gives people a place to belong and a place to put those feelings that maybe they can't express with their family or with their friends, Mm. but they express it online with us. And it's really, it's been so humbling for me because I love them all. Like, how do you love so many dogs? But I do. They're all my besties and I have relationships with, I love all of them for different reasons. And um, it's just an amazing process. Like, I know I'm extremely blessed to do this. This has just been, it's been a dream come true, but it it's not something that I even knew was totally my dream. It just, I think out of my own grief, built this beautiful legacy for my dad. And so out of my pain and sharing that with people and then using that to help other people is why it's grown so fast and grown so much. And so it's, it's something more than just dogs to me. It's my life and it's my heart. And so it's a wonderful experience. Well, Valerie Reed, you're wonderful. And thank you so much for what you're doing. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. That's all we have time for on today's show. Please follow The Long Leash in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube and do us a favor by sharing the program with a friend or two. I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.